All right, well, we've had a number of good questions uh, come in already. Um, before we get started, we, we've heard from Dave, we heard earlier briefly from Bert, but we haven't had a chance to meet Kim and Nikki. So could y'all just briefly introduce yourselves as we get started? Kim, I'll let you, you go first. You're our guest, so you get to go first. Yeah, my name is Kim Harvey. I'm married to Dave, obviously, and uh, we've been married for 37 years, and we have four children. That's great. We're glad you're here. Thank you. And Nikki? I'm Nikki. I'm married to Bert. We've been married for 13 years, and we have three kids. Noah is 10, Isaiah is 6, and Tatum, our daughter, is 4. Okay, great. Uh, we, Like I said, we already have a number of good questions, uh, so we'll just start working through these. Uh, the first question, how can I become less defensive when my spouse is pointing out where I fall short? Who wants to start with that? Bert, I think. Bert would be great, yeah. okay. <laughs> you should apply Dave's message from this morning. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think, I mean, obviously, I mean, what Dave's been talking about this morning in terms of uh, considering our own sin, reminding ourselves of ways that we fall short in the marriage where we have uh, sinned or um, been weak in the marriage and how our spouse has had to forbear with us. So I, I think that's all I've got right now. Maybe more will come to my mind. Um, I would say take a break. I also can be very defensive. And so um, taking a break just is a very practical way to say, okay, hold on. I'm feeling defensive inside. I don't have to defend myself. Let me just think about this before just jumping right into defensiveness. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, the, the mechanic side can be really important because I think there's really wise ways to, to manage the fact that uh, temperatures can go up, perspectives can be different, and it's good to know what to do in being able to move things forward then. You know, when I, when I feel like I'm getting, I'm becoming defensive. It often signals to me that there is, there is something that is at work in my heart. Um, there is an assessment of myself that is coming under scrutiny, and um, oftentimes that's very offensive to me. It's instinctively uh, offensive because I, I can have a high opinion of myself. And the high opinion gets attacked by an alternative perspective that might be coming. So I think knowing the dynamics of, you know, what goes on in the heart when we're feeling defensive, that, that category of defensiveness can be, you know, it can be uh, interpreted uh, through Scripture by, in categories of, of pride uh, it's not, it can't be reduced to that, but man, with me, if I'm being defensive, it's, you know, we're working in a 90 percentile range that I'm, I'm, my pride is being pricked. And I, I, I think that the only other thing is that it's good to remember that one of the things that has taken place at the cross is that the worst thing that could possibly be said about you was said at the cross. And, and, and what was said about you is that your, your sin was so bad, it required not just blood, 
but the blood of God to take it away. And, and you're so loved that God was able, God was wanted to do that and did that in the person of, of Jesus Christ. So um, it's helpful to know that uh, however you think about yourself, you're way worse than you think. And if people really knew, like, like I think sometimes, if people really knew like some of the way, like when people saying saying something about me that is totally unjust, it help, helps me to think, you know, what you're saying is totally unjust, but if you really knew some of the things I did, you could really nail me. So um, that helps, that gives me perspective. Well, and the concept that Dave just spoke of, uh, there's an article called The Cross and Criticism that is extremely helpful that yes. we've used with a lot of our leaders. It's a very short article that talks about this concept of how at the cross our sinfulness is, uh, is put on display. I mean, that in, and nothing that anyone says about us can be as bad as it really is. And, uh, and at the same time, and I think that's really critical, is then finding the reality that, and yet God loves me fully and completely. And so I don't have to a lot of times the defensiveness comes out of an insecurity, right? We're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to, um, in some ways, prove that we're worthy, that you sh- I should be accepted, I should be loved. Um, and so I need to defend myself. But if I'm secure in the fact that, like, you don't know half of it, and I really am loved, like, fully and completely, I don't have to defend myself. You may even have a wrong perception of me, but I don't have to defend myself. Um, and actually, now I can kind of settle in and say, maybe there's actually something here for me to learn and, um, and, and put myself in a posture of, of receiving and, and discerning, okay, what, what's true here and what's not? What can I take and learn and grow from? And even if there's things that aren't true, I don't ha- it, it doesn't have to be World War III. I don't have to, like, go all out and prove that it's not true. I can be settled in who I am in the Lord and, and that he loves me. I would say a similar thing. My uh, experience is in those moments where, by grace, I have been able to humble myself. And um, because typically when I'm being defensive, I don't want to, which is kind of funny. I don't want an argument, but I'm being defensive, which means, hello, argument, here I come. But in those moments where I've been able to say, you know what, you're right, I did do that. I do say that. I am like that. It really, uh, the blessings in hindsight that I have benefited from were far more than I imagined. I avoided an argument. I learned something about myself. And I invited him into the process with me, which was very, very Mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Okay, we have two questions here I'll kind of group together. Um, First, my husband used to look at pornography he says that he doesn't anymore, but I wonder if he does. How can I trust him again? And then a related question, how do I deal with the betrayal of an affair? Well, beginning with the pornography question, I think that, that it's really important for a husband to recognize that when when he has gone through a season where he has struggled with pornography and he's come clean, thank God, thank God for the grace that brought the conviction uh, or even the exposure that resulted in, you know, you being outed on it, whatever it might be. And then you've walked through this thing that, you know, for a woman that that is not far from the experience of 
uh, of adultery. And, and so some of the same things that, that would uh, move a couple through the experience of adultery onto the other side of health can come into play and be applied in a helpful way. And one of them, I think, is this: is the idea of full disclosure, um, full accountability, so that a wife would have the freedom to bring forward her questions and not only hear his response, but have him say, you know what, you're... My love for you is such, and my, our marriage is such a priority that I don't want you to feel limited to my responses. Um, let's, let's together go. Let's look at the history. Um, let's call Janny or Pete, because we know they're experts at computer. Let's get them over here. Let's get an evaluation done. It's important to me that, because my integrity is being um, purchased back, in a sense, and it's really important to me that we partner in this together. And so your questions, I'm not going to relate to them like they're this violation of my, you know, my integrity. I have delivered a blow of trust into this marriage, and I want to work hard to help you get to a place where you can trust me again. And if that's a weakness that you're having, I want to have a patience for that rather than feeling like, I mean, seriously, you know, we've been, we've been doing this for nine months. What am I going to be, you know, on trial now for the rest of my life because I've failed in this way? Well, you know, I do think there is a, I, I do think that there's a statue of limitations. But a husband who has failed or a wife is, who has failed are not the ones to determine the statue of limitations. It's the wise and loving and helpful counsel of others that I think can help them to, to know that. I think part of that is is then bringing in, uh, I think it's helpful to bring in another couple or uh, someone that uh, that you trust maybe within the church to help navigate that um, in terms of what are, what would be some of those healthy account, uh, measures of accountability that would be put in place and then um, what that should look like in terms of how long that may should progress and so forth. So I think having other people in on that process is, is really helpful. Um, yeah. Could one of the ladies respond to that as well? One of those is from the perspective of the wife. So thinking adultery and pornography. I think um, being in ministry, as long as we have and having uh, the vantage point to see uh, the effects of pornography. Um, you know, I think my response would be very common and, and very similar to anyone else's response upon learning that their spouse was involved in pornography. It would be, first, enormous pain. It would be anger. It would be deep humiliation, but ultimately it would be fear on the effect that it would have on our marriage. And the thing I've learned about pornography, um, which is not great, but I've seen it, the effects of it firsthand, as, is that the wives, as wives, 
we have an enormous opportunity to stand in the gap for our husbands. The, the pornography is, in my mind, similar to addiction in that um, it, it, it's, it, by nature, its goal is to trap and imprison someone in their mind. And the implications are far-reaching. And so, um, you know, I just feel like these are the kinds of things that we must pray for our husbands for. And even fasting, because we have an opportunity to serve them and help them in this regard. Uh, when should I show mercy versus when should I expose and talk about my spouse's sins and issues? This is something that's come up a couple of times, the idea of um, showing mercy, but also um, dealing with sin that's present. Yeah. Right, so should we assume that it's, it's some kind of serious sin um, <clears throat> that is unresolved? I mean, I think that's a, that's a good distinction to make. Yeah. Well, the way I think about it is that, is that I, I think that we should be able to look back and say that there has been a period where we have been forbearing and we have been in prayer and we have appealed and we're able to point to, you know, a, a record... A record's not the best way to think of it, but just a, a season where we have given our best at creating time and space and patience. And, and now we can come to the conclusion that time, space, and patience doesn't seem to produce the fruit that we would want in, in their life. It, do, it hasn't moved them along. So for some people, time, space, and patience would be extremely humbling and they would realize the grace in that, and that would soften the heart and deepen the conviction. But for others, may, maybe they, you know, it, it doesn't help at all. And so to me, that would then be the invitation to get other people involved uh, because that's not, uh, the, the other way hasn't borne any fruit. I think uh, one helpful distinction, because we all have temptations on, on, on different extremes. Um, you know, the scriptures say one is that uh, love covers a multitude of sins, right? So there's just a lot of things that happen in a marriage that you just need to overlook. Um, because if you don't, you'll just be constantly like picking at each other. And, uh, and that's not going to create a great environment uh, for your marriage to thrive. So there's just a whole host of things I think that we need to say. Dave talked about this or in the marriage where love covers a multitude of sins. I'm just going to overlook that. I don't need to say anything about that. One of the dangers, though, is that for some of us, um, overlooking sin might be actually an excuse for a lack of courage um, because some of us might be predisposed where we just don't like conflict. And so... If there's stuff going on in the marriage, it's easy for us to say, if we're predisposed this way, well, love covers a multitude of sins. And so there may be things that really are just uh, hampering the marriage, uh, really uh, eating away at the marriage, but we're unwilling to address it because we don't like conflict. 
Um, so we need the courage to come out and say in a loving, respectful way, we need to talk about this. Um, on the other extreme, though, right, there's, uh, we have the temptation to, um, to like always, like everything we're pointing out, right? And that's where uh, we need to be more gracious. Um, and we need to be able to discern what is it that I can just overlook, and then what are the things that I really need to address? And those are some of the things that David was referring to that are, have more uh, significance, that are making an impact on the marriage, that are him, uh, hindering us uh, uh, really being one with one another. Uh, and so we need to, we need to address those, those times. Um, this kind of answers that question and going back to your last one. Um, sometimes I think we can, you know, want, if you use the picture of, of a front door, we want the front door of our house to be all decorated and it's swept off and it looks nice. And as people drive by, they think, oh, that, you know, that's a nice house. That must be a nice family. But behind the closed doors, there's, you know, conflict or maybe in this situation, there's some serious sin or patterns of sin. We don't want anyone to know about them. So we just keep them to ourselves and between our marriage. But we tend to forget about this beautiful gift that the Lord has given us in the local church. And I keep thinking about that, the wisdom um, of the older married couples in the church or the elders who really are praying for the marriages in the body and they want to provide counsel or the member care team or there's all these gifts within the local body that we sometimes don't um, dive into because we don't want to look bad. We don't want to look sinful. We don't want people to know, you know, what really goes on behind our closed doors, but we're really missing out on a level of not only accountability, but wisdom that the Lord intends for us to have in our lives. Mm-hmm. What does that, that look like for, um, for folks? I think we live in a culture where that's not normal, like to interact with other people about um, things that feel very personal. What does that look like practically to, to start some of those conversations with other Christians? Well, I, I, you know, I'm not like this fountain of wisdom up here myself. So, uh, but I would say, um, Bert has touched on this, but talking about a couple, like who in the church do we respect? Who has um, a love for the Lord? Who are those people that are, you know, when squeezed, like the sponge illustration, scripture comes out, our prayer comes out. Who are those people and let's just start by confiding in them. And I think it's also important, to, maybe more for the women, maybe the men wouldn't struggle with this as much, but I don't mean to find somebody to go and gossip about your husband to and like tell them all these horrible things that are annoying you. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I'm, I'm talking more about going as a couple together, a unified, loving front, like we need help. We need help. Um, I... Yeah, that's what I would start with. I think there's there is so much power in um, in the experience of confession and community and uh, meeting with another person or another couple to humble yourself. There's so much power in that that you will find almost all of the forces of hell unleashed 
at your steps uh, or at, at you beginning to think about that. It, 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 there'll be so many things that move to convince you that you shouldn't do that um, because there's nothing that the enemy and the flesh want more than to keep us isolated, independent, and interpreting ourselves in, uh, in, in trying to move forward. Uh, we have a couple of questions um, thinking about um, those who are not yet married. Uh, first question, how do you know when you are ready for marriage? And then related, what advice do you have for those who are preparing for marriage? Step one is come to a conference like this. Yes, thank you for coming. If, if, if that's you, thank you. I mean, it's really wise to make an investment before marriage like this to come and sit with others and, and, and get training and hear. So I, co- I commend you if you're here and, and not married yet. I would s- strongly encourage the women um, preparing for marriage or with a vision for marriage to befriend, similarly to what you said, to befriend purposefully older women who are married. Before Dave and I got married, we, we practically chained ourselves to this couple that we loved and we just so admired their relationship Mm -hmm. and um, we just committed ourselves to serving them and loving them and getting to know them and purposefully using um, evenings in their home to just draw them out and ask them questions and we probably spent a year just you know getting to know them serving their children Um, And I think we benefited tremendously from that. You know, I don't think older couples are going to seek you out. If you want it, you need to take the initiative and and get it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that, Bert? How do you know when you're ready for marriage, specifically? Um, You know, I mean, one thing is that you're maturing in the Lord. You're seeking the Lord for yourself and growing as as a believer and as a Christian. Um, you're taking responsibility for yourself. and um, But, you know, there is one sense in which you're never going to be fully ready. Um, in fact, one of the purposes of marriage is to mature you, to sanctify you. And so, um, you know, again, there's, there's different dangers on this. And, and some people, I think, do may have a tendency that, like... Uh, they delay it and delay it and delay it and delay it because they really, really, really want to be ready and they just, they kind of obsess about it. Um, but marriage itself is sanctifying. Marriage itself will cause you to mature and grow. Marriage will make you ready for marriage in some ways. Um, and so if you're walking with the Lord and you love the Lord and you're repenting of sin and you're trusting in Christ and there's someone that's godly and loves the Lord, Marriage is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a gift. Uh, and part of it is, is you're, you're, you know, just step out in faith and embrace it. The Lord loves marriage. He loves us. He's given us marriage as a gift. And, uh, and we can step into it and realize that, uh, that the Lord has good things for us in marriage. And part of that is our own growth. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, how do I deal with the feeling that... I'm the one who's constantly the reason for so much conflict and frustration within the marriage. Um, I'll, I'll say, and I mean, I know this has been brought up a number of times, but I think, I just think it's so important. If you feel that way about your marriage, 
And so I'll take it from a guy's perspective. One, confess it to your spouse. I realize that this is causing trouble in our marriage, the way I'm handling these situations or the way I'm responding uh, in, you know, in this particular way. And, and I want you to know that. Um, of course, take that to the Lord. And then find somebody in the church, another man, and say, can we get breakfast? Can we get lunch? And just and tell them and ask them, I want, would you mind if we met for a while and talked about this? Because I need help on this. And, uh, and you would be surprised if you commit with another brother or another sister and you spend time in the Word and prayer together and you're open about it and you're confessing, you'll be surprised the power that that has uh, over time of, of kind of breaking the chains on that and you experiencing freedom in that. Um, so, so, so that's, that's one of the things I would encourage you to do. Uh, we're closing up on our time, and there's a number of questions we haven't gotten to yet. Um, I think we may have time for just one more. Um, well, I'll, I'll say that. So there, there's uh, a number of questions that relate to very deep hurt, whether it's adultery or pornography or uh, abuse in the past. And all of those things are going to be, need much more than what we can answer here on a panel. What would be, uh, Bert, as, as a pastor, what would be a helpful next step for people who feel like today has been good, but they need um, more support and help? What, what's a good next step for them? Um, I mean, I think part of that depends on the particular situation that you find yourself in. I mean, it, it could be as simple as, you know, what we've been talking about, reaching out to someone in the congregation. But there are situations where, you know, it's important for you to come, say, to an elder here at the church or uh, to seek out biblical counseling. If you find yourself in that situation, uh, we would be happy uh, to meet with you, to give you references to other people as well. If it's more of a kind of uh, sustained counseling that you need over a longer period of time. Uh, so I think those are, those are some steps uh, that would need to be taken. Of course, if there's situations where there's danger involved, like you personally are in some type of danger or that sort of thing, then, then you really do need to start to talk to someone else about how you can be put in a situation where you're safe um, and that you would not be in danger. That's very important. We, we don't in any way want you to hear that that mercy means enabling, and, and Dave addressed this, that, you know, in the sense that you would remain in a situation where you would be in danger. Uh, so those are, those are some of the things that initially I would um, say without knowing the particulars of the situation. Dave, do you have anything to add on that, brother? I think that part of getting married is, is you're, you're, you're marrying the story and you're owning the, uh, the path that brought you two together and recognizing that there's, there can be real brokenness in that path. And one of the things that happens in, where there's a history of abuse, particularly if it's sexual abuse, it doesn't need to be a long history, but experiences of sexual abuse or just, or just even chronic promiscuity um, is that the the experience of sexuality within marriage becomes a trigger for a lot of the, the, the post-trauma 
uh, or the, the, the baggage. It unleashes some of the, the baggage there and there's shame issues that can come out, which, you know, might be totally misplaced, but nevertheless, it's real. And it comes out in the context of the marriage and it totally freaks out either the husband or the wife, whoever's on the other, other side of that, because they think, well, it's in the past and, or, you know, Jesus covered that or, or, you know, what am I like being compared? What, what's going on? And so it, there, there's all kind of stuff. So I think there, there's gotta be a sense where the premarital is, is wading into this stuff that new, newlywed years are working through this stuff and that we're not going to go into this with fear. We're not going to go into this feeling like the gospel isn't big enough to move us forward and to meet us in some of the complexities that we, we bring into the marriage. And that, to, you know, to people that, that are in that situation, there are so many people, there are so many people in this room that have walked through some of the complexities that you that you might be fearing right now and are on the other side of it um, because of how common it is and there's real hope in in the gospel and in the the local church help that can come through good counseling and pastors and elders so don't fear you know what you're what you're seeing or experiencing but it might be time to start talking about it Okay, well, we, we had several questions that we weren't able to get to, and I apologize for that, but this has been very helpful. Um, so would you all join me in thanking our panel today?